Welcome back to Her Hustle with your hosts, Chloe and Mimi. We interview successful female and non-binary entrepreneurs about their businesses and how they got from college to where they are today. Whether you have a side hustle or want to own your own company, if you have an entrepreneurial spirit and are eager to learn, this podcast is for you. Let's get going. Okay, welcome. For those of you who don't already know, Laura Wittig is the founder and CEO of Brightly, a discovery platform that combines content, shopping, and a community for eco-conscious and ethical consumers. Before she took charge of her own business, Laura worked in marketing, strategy, and product for Amazon, Google, and Adobe, respectively. Laura is currently steering Brightly through Snapchat's Yellow Accelerator, And as part of sharing Brightly's mission, Laura co-hosts the Good Together podcast, which is one of the top 150 podcasts in the U.S. Laura, perhaps after this interview, you can share some of your podcast tips with us. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's great to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. We're thrilled to launch episode one with you. So welcome. Awesome. Well, you guys have done such a great job getting everything set up. And hey, that's half the battle starting a podcast, right? (laughs) So starting off, you have an incredible list of achievements before starting Brightly. We'd love to start at the beginning of your story. So if you can tell us a little bit about your personal background and what led you to spend your first few years out of college in the tech industry. For sure. So I got started um, in the tech industry just briefly out of college. um, But before we get there, I can start kind of at the very beginning. So I grew up in Texas, um, specifically the Dallas area. And as a kid, I was very interested in really what was like the beginning of consumer focused computing. My mom actually had an iMac or I actually back then it probably wasn't even called an iMac. It was probably it was before that. Um, and she because she was a freelance journalist and she worked from home um, while she was raising me and my brother. And so we had a computer. And I think that was very like unique back then. Not that many people had those types of computers in their home. Um, And so my brother and I spent a lot of time on that computer. We would like play games. I remember she like found things for me to learn my multiplication tables, like all of these things. And that's kind of when I decided that I love user interfaces, actually. Like I remember like looking at a Mac and being and just like thinking it was just so easy to use. I was a kid, right? Um, I actually then like throughout um, going through elementary, middle, and then high school, kind of tinkered around on the computer. um, And I actually realized that I was using binary code to mess with like this uh, dogs and cats uh, program that I used to be in. I like I was, uh, you could like breed dogs and cats and like make new breeds and things like that. Um, And so I, I learned like I was like in the files changing up the the, the file formats to like make a new breed of dog. Um, and then there was like this whole like very tiny little online community of people who would make like fake kennels. And so I learned how to create a website because of that, which is hilarious. <laughs> but I tell that story because, you know, it's I love it. But also I always look back and like have this like little bit of regret because I was brought up in an area that did not really champion women in tech or women in mathematics. And so I remember I was uh, in like all pre-AP, AP classes with the exception of math. And it was because math was not my strong suit, but I distinctly remember going into my guidance counselor and saying, 
hey, you know what? I know I'm not like, it's not my top subject, but I really want to be more involved. Like, how can I do this? And I remember them looking at me and being like, don't put too much on your plate. Don't do it. And so then when it came time to get into computer science, I didn't have the required like math, I don't know, pre-AP math or whatever. And so I think my career... Although while I've loved it and I'm happy to get into that, would be very different if I would have been nurtured from that early age in terms of, you know, recognizing the fact that what I was doing was engineering. It was computer science. And even still to this day, as the technical co-founder for Brightly and the one who has done most of the development, like 90% of the development on our platform right now, people still ask me who the engineer is and who the developer is because I don't have a computer science background. Um, So yeah, I don't usually share that story very much, but I feel like it's really relevant for your audience because just, just because you don't have a degree in something or because somebody didn't nurture a nascent ability in you does not mean that you are not qualified for these things. And like, the tech industry here is is notorious for that too. Like, you know, Chloe and I um, met in the context of Adobe's product management, um, you know, program. And oftentimes Adobe is one of the rare companies actually that doesn't require a computer science degree to be a product manager. Um, and anyway, but yeah, happy to kind of get, go back to like how I got into the tech industry too, but always like to start at the beginning with that funny pet story. <laughs> Um, But yeah, so anyway, I went to the University of Texas. Um, I did a dual degree in multimedia journalism and in political science with a um, specialty in international relations. So I've always been very interested in world affairs and how they relate back to everyone through news and through content and how how we talk to societies. Um, And so I graduated actually in the middle of the recession. This is another pretty timely topic for for everybody to hear because we are on, you know, we are now in a recession from from what you hear. Um, So I graduated in 09. Um, I was supposed to graduate in um, 2010, but I did it a year early because I didn't want to pay a bunch of student loans. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so I got out of school And I was actually supposed to go work for, um, I was like really wanted to go work for NPR. I was close on that. I had all these really cool opportunities available. And then they literally all just shut overnight because of the recession. Um, And so I was left with this new degree and zero job prospects. And so what I ended up doing was I went and worked at the Apple store in the mall. So I literally was like right out of school and I was working at the genius bar <laughs> um, and I had people coming up and yelling at me about their iPhone and not, not knowing their password is. And it was, it was really humbling um, because like I said, I thought I was going to come out of school and be this like rock star. And I was now in the mall and um, I didn't, you know, I figured, you know what, this is going to be temporary. I'm going to use, I mean, I need money. I need income. So I worked there. I actually had a ton of fun. Um, I loved getting to see how people interact with their devices, teaching people like how to use the computer. I was there when we launched the iPad, which was really interesting to like see the talk, um, everybody talk about like how the iPad was going to change the world. And like, Mm -hmm. that was really interesting. Um, my husband and I are actually high school sweethearts. So we, oh um, <laughs> so he, he and I both went to school um, in, in Dallas together and he went to the Naval Academy. So okay. I actually moved up to the East Coast uh, while he was finishing out his last year at the Academy because I graduated a year early. Right. Um, and when he graduated, 
we then moved. Um, so he was a submarine officer. Mm -hmm. So he got stationed up in um, close to Amazon's office in Seattle. So that's kind of how I got um, close to Amazon. But I was not, they did not, were not having me when I first got there. <laughs> um, and so this is another like actionable tip for everybody where when you're out of school, um, and I, while I was at Apple, I did a lot of freelance journalism work too. Kind of, my mom mm -hmm. and I share that background. I was really into fashion. I went to New York Fashion Week, like scrapped my way to get in there. You'll have to tell us about that later. Yeah, totally. Just like figure out a way to get there. Um, and when I got to, um, you know, Seattle, I was like, I'm going to work for Amazon. I don't care how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I really want to work in their fashion area because that's just, this is something that I really am still very passionate about shopping online and really wanted to do that. I applied to Amazon like three or four times, had referrals, couldn't get in there. But what ended up happening was I realized, and this is something I tell everyone that I know, whether they're like a new graduate or somebody just trying to break into a new career, is contract. Start off as a contractor. It's so much easier to get in the door that way. Um, and then while you're there, you're going to be working on the same team you'd be working on if you were full-time. They can see your work ethic. They can see your, your output and like how you're going to be a great addition to the team. And then when that position comes open they can just convert you. Um, and it's it's not quite as easy as that sound. I mean, you have to take into consideration whether or not they have headcount and all sorts of stuff now that I know. But that's what I did. So I worked for Amazon for, I think I was only there as a contractor for a few months, like very, very little time. And then they immediately converted me. Um, and so then I spent a few years there um, as I started off really primarily in email marketing um, and then went more into development. I actually did a lot of um, code for their email templates there um, and curation. I got to work really alongside the fashion editor. It was a really awesome experience. Um, at the same time, I my whole job there was to drive sales of as many shoes and handbags as I possibly could. That was my whole job right. in email marketing. I started to kind of think through what like what am I actually bringing into this world with with these sales? And I say that because I had the opportunity to watch a documentary called The True Cost, um, which I highly recommend. Um, it basically talks about um, workers in Bangladesh, and unfortunately, there was a, a, a tragedy there um, a few years ago in Rana Plaza where. Lots of people were killed um, and they were killed making fast fashion. And so I saw that documentary and I immediately thought to myself, what, how am I contributing to this? Because I'm like literally graded at work on like how, mm -hmm. how many poorly made shoes and handbags I can sell. So wow, I started yeah. to think through what do I want to do with my career? Um, I know I want to stay in tech. I know I want to come out to Silicon Valley. It's always been a dream of mine. Um, so like, how do I get there? And how do I do it in a way that like feels good to me? Um, so yeah, ended up actually very fortuitously, I have no idea how it happened. Google found me. Um, and I actually ended up um, moving out to Google. And while I was at Google, was involved in social impact work. Awesome. And so that's kind of where everything started. Um, and that's kind of how I got into the marriage of tech and social impact work, which now really informs how Brightly is. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, just something in your story for our listeners who don't know could you share more about what a contractor is and how you got in 
with Amazon through that. Absolutely. So a contractor really depends on kind of where you are. Like people call them different things, but essentially it's somebody who does not count as a full-time employee at a company. And that gives you a lot of flexibility um, in terms of, um, you know, being able to try different roles out too. So number one, I always like to tell people, if you're not sure if you want to go into a specific career, it's amazing and like such a great opportunity to just kind of try it out. Um, you can try it out for a few months at a time. Oftentimes, you'll actually even get paid more as a contractor because the, the company doesn't have to pay out your specific benefits. Um, so, you know, most of the time you actually will work with an agency. So basically, an agency will represent you as a contractor. It's kind of almost like um, what actors deal with and things like that, where they've got somebody to advocate on their behalf. So the agency will come up and um, help you get that placement. Um, they will then provide the benefits to you. So you'll get like health insurance and everything through your contracting agency. And then the company that you're working for just pays that agency. So um, oftentimes, because it's cheaper for companies to hire contractors, they will have more flexibility and more roles open in contractor roles. Um, And so, you know, the one caveat there is when you're looking for a contract job, oftentimes they don't list the name of the company. So you kind of have to get creative in understanding how somebody might describe a company without naming it. So like Google, I mean, it's so funny. You could see Google described as like a colorful company that um, from A to Z, uh, you know, like kind of talking about alphabet, like sometimes the contractor agencies get pretty creative. Um, Also, if you know somebody that works at one of these companies, that's another good way. Like if they refer you and you still can't get in, which by the way, like I don't want to be a Debbie Downer too much, but unless somebody who refers you at a company for a full-time role knows that hiring manager pretty intimately, a lot of times these big companies, like just because you get referred, you might get Get like an extra benefit, like maybe the recruiter will spend a little bit more time with you or something like that. But it's it's definitely not as easy as that sounds. So anyway, find find the role that you're interested in um, and ask, you know, somebody that works at the company, say, hey, I see that there's maybe a contract role. Can you take can you take a look? Can you see if this is actually there? awesome? Really cool. So I'd love to hear a bit more about your transition from the corporate world, these big companies to actually starting your own. Tell us more about Brightly. What kind Kind of stemmed this passion and then what it was like to transfer from the corporate world to the entrepreneurial sphere. So uh, full disclosure, that's very new for me. So I actually um, went full time with Brightly and everything just a few months ago. Um, so you guys are getting the very thank you. You're getting the very raw opinion here. But so essentially, I actually started Brightly um, when I was it was started as a side hustle. And that's something okay. I recommend almost everyone trying to do just because, you know, you're going to burn the midnight midnight oil anyway as a founder. So you kind of you can kind of ease yourself into it a little bit as much as I like to say work life balance, when you're the only one in charge of things, and you're trying to hire a team to help you, but most of the time, it ends up being you for a long time. I think it's a good way to test it out. So I actually um, started kind of working on the idea of Brightly when I was um, contracting for a little bit at Sephora, which by the way, I practice what I preach, I wanted to get into product management in Silicon Valley, couldn't get in through the normal ways, couldn't even do it at Google um, because they I didn't have a computer science degree. So I saw that Sephora was hiring for a contractor in product management. So I left my full-time job at Google. People thought I was crazy, but I left it to go contract at Sephora because I knew that is awesome. All you need is one 
job with that title to get your right. foot in the door. Right. So and that's you know, this what is, I did. This is so great for Mimi and I to hear because I'm a philosophy, politics, economics major. Mimi is psychology and literature. So we don't have that technical background necessarily. And we're looking for these avenues. So it's great to hear that specific practical advice. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just get, you just got to get it once on your resume and then, then you show up on all the recruiter searches Um, So anyway, I was working on that while I was at Sephora. I loved that as a contractor, I didn't really have to give a ton of um, flips. I don't know what the rating on this podcast is. (laughs) A ton of flips about the company like OKRs and all this like long-term strategic stuff. All I needed to focus on, I'm just going to do an awesome job at this project. I'm going to be really passionate about it. And I don't have to deal with all the other red tape that goes along with some of these big companies. So anyway, I loved it. That was my plan. Um, And then Adobe came along and said, hey, we love that you have this side hustle because we have an opening at Adobe for a position that is dealing directly with entrepreneurs. Um, And so we'd love to have you come on board and then like, you know, keep working on this in your off time. Like we don't have a problem with that. And I loved that. Are you referring to Brightly as the side hustle you were working on while you were at Sephora? Yes. That was kind of like I was doing some very, very, very early tests there. So I don't even think I had the tie- the name Brightly. I think I was just kind of like trying to to get in get into the conscious consumer angle. Um, as a consumer, I couldn't find a place to look for all of the ethical brands that I loved. And I I kind of had an idea of almost like a marketplace, but I started to do tests there. Um, and then that and I, I I don't I think I might have had it on LinkedIn. I don't really know how um, Adobe figured it out. But anyway, they gave me the chance to work on that side hustle. Um, of course, not when I was at work. I did it week, nights and weekends, but they were supportive of it. And so if you can find either as a contractor or as a full time job, a place that is supportive of that, but the, if they give you that flexibility, it can be really empowering because you've got that steady paycheck coming in. You can use some of that money to bootstrap your business. Because honestly, for female founders, it's pretty much a requirement that we bootstrap at the, at the beginning. Yeah. Um, it's pretty difficult to raise funding in general. And, you know, unfortunately, I think something like less than 3% of venture capital um, last year went to females. And so it's, it's, it's a pretty staggering number there. And so, you know, it's, that's just the reality of the situation. I'm hoping it changes. And like, you know, I, that is why I do what I do sometimes as well, like trying to build this billion dollar business for social good, but also for like for the females that are going to come after me. Right. Anyway. Um, so yes, started working on that, um, did some early tests. And then while I was at Adobe, um, I decided that I wanted Brightly to oh. be more of a all-in-one encompassing resource for conscious consumers. So like I'd said, I had thought about it being a bit more like a shopping, like marketplace perspective. But the more I did studies and talked to people, I realized that there's a really big gap in the market for knowledge um, and for meeting people where they wanted to be on their journey of conscious consumerism and not having judgment saying, you know what, like we always say this, but it's funny. We're like, we know you love to go to Target everybody loves to go to Target. That's totally fine. You can still go to Target and you can get a thing of fair trade coffee while you're there, right? Like we wanted to be that voice. And that was how I always talked about like my vision for Brightly. And that's when I was like, how am I going to build a company around this? And so my co-founder, Lisa, she and I actually met as friends. So that's another tip. Like 
people will pull you, if you're going to start your own company, they're going to pull you in 8,000 directions. And a lot of people say you have to have a co-founder. And for a long time, I didn't have one. Um, I had a few people that I was kind of in talks with, but I was like, I just don't know if it's going to work. Um, and so I ended up reaching out to Lisa. She actually had uh, been a founder of a subscription box company called Globen. Um, they're the first fair trade subscription box. And she and I were friends just from the founder world and also for the fact that we love ethical and sustainable fashion and home goods, etc. But I said, Lisa, how can you and I like come together and create more of this content and, and do it in a really fun, cheap way? How can we test things, right? Always recommend testing the heck out of something before you put a bunch of money towards it, because it's really hard to understand what users and consumers want until you put something out there. So that's how we started Good Together, which is our podcast. Um, and so we got the idea for Good Together because we wanted to test this cheaply and quickly. I also always wanted to be a podcaster. It was like a little dream of mine. Awesome. Um, <laughs> and I, Lisa and I were having these conversations that we have on Good Together over wine. Like we were debating like, what does sustainable fashion actually mean? Um, you know, what does it mean to be zero waste? And like, is that attainable for most people? Like we were just having these conversations already. And so I said, mm -hmm. Let's make a podcast out of it. Let's see if the way we talk about this and the way we envision the company yeah. to be eventually resonates with people. So we started doing that in August of last year. Um, and then by November, we did two things. One, we actually took the curtain off the Brightly platform that it is today, which is, you can find it at brightly.eco, um, like eco-friendly, but we've got you know, a bunch of content that's there living in articles. So like we wanted a web presence and like an ability to reach people that way. But an am amazing thing happened that we never could have predicted, which was Apple picked us up for a feature um, in the app store on Black Friday. And they, we were there until the end of December. So it was just like, I don't, there's no secret there. I have no idea how they found us. I think they were looking for some timely topical, relevant content. And they had a sidebar that said conscious consumerism. And there we were as like number one. And so that really exploded our early growth, both in the podcast and also on the web platform. Wonderful. And, you know, has allowed us to reach really thousands of millennial and Gen Z women, actually more and more as we kind of come into our own as a company, we find that Gen Z women like like yourselves, like people are really, really into this. And so yeah. we're just like, I mean, I can talk all day long about the business and things like that. But I think the early growth helps people kind of wrap their heads around like how it happens, because a lot of it is hard work. A mm. lot of it is who you choose to go into business yeah. with. But there is definitely an element of luck. And I would be remiss if I did not point that out. <laughs> Luck, I'm sure, but also the podcast is amazing. So everyone, if you haven't checked it out, Chloe and I gave a listen. We've had lots of tips and advice about living a more um, eco-friendly life. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we love it. It, it, it may, it's still the most fun that we have. Um, my brother is also a sound engineer, which is awesome. So he does our editing, which is fun. It's been kind of fun together. He's my little brother. And it's like, he always sees me as this like super serious, like driven older sister. And so it's been very fun to like, connect with him on that level. Actually, I remember the first few episodes that he did. He also does like, he makes his own like house music and stuff and like is passionate about that. So he literally like took 
my voice and like made like a weird like remix with it like it was just so funny it was like a meme I was like thanks thanks brother like (laughs) please don't publish this this sounds ridiculous (laughs) oh that's awesome it's become a family project it has yeah and he still does it to this day he he loves it yeah and I mean Mimi and I can speak to working with your friends um (laughs) we both met in San Francisco and we were entering at um tech companies when I was at Adobe so totally understand it's been so much fun doing this podcast and just being able to connect, especially during COVID-19 when we're all stuck at home. So that's great. As you mentioned at the beginning of your story, I'd love to hear a bit more about that bootstrapping process um, and how you went about funding your venture in the early stages. And particularly if you have advice for people that have a side hustle, but don't know how or when to go about making it a full-time thing and really making that transition. Absolutely. So I, first of all, as when I made the decision to start bootstrapping brightly and putting some, some of my own money there, um, you know, I'm, I'm married. So I like approached my husband about it and was like, look, you need to agree and be on the same page with me. And like, we kind of came up with a budget and said, okay, this is how much, and this is something you obviously can do if you, even if you're not, you, you need to come up with a budget. You need to make sure that you are willing to never see that money again, because the odds, I mean, you know, it, it's very difficult to get companies off the ground and you will be at so much more peace with yourself if you, if you are at peace with that. Um, and I think, you know, one of the advantages I had was the fact that we are here in Silicon Valley, our, the salaries are huge, or they were before COVID-19. I bet you were about to see some kind of market correction, unfortunately, but just they're, 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 they're big. And so I was able to have some of that wiggle room and put it towards Brightly. Um, I also advise people to learn as much as you can and try to outsource as little as you can when you're first getting started. So like that really will help protect you from like, you know, hiring. I hear horror stories from some some other founders that I know who, for instance, um, I, I'm, I'm technical. I know, um, you know, mostly web um, related languages. I don't know uh, how to code in iOS. Like I don't know Swift and anything like that. And so I've heard of women who want an iOS app developed. They come up with wireframes. They're, they're I mean, the idea is really awesome. And then they go outsource it to a development team somewhere and spend $50,000, something crazy before they've had a single paying customer before they've had any time to validate it. And so um, if you if you're interested in building an app, um, maybe take some time to play around with like how an app works. Maybe you don't even have to learn to code, but there's a ton of awesome no code tools out there. There's one that's really cool. It's brand new. It's called Adalo, um, A-D-A-L-O. They make um, no-code apps really accessible and easy to, to make yourself, which is pretty cool. So highly recommend people playing around with that one. Um, but see how far you can get on your own before you start getting someone else um, involved. Um, the second piece would be, when did I know it was time to leave? That is by far the hardest decision that I've made so far. I have listened to so many podcasts, um, especially about from founders. And like, as I was on my journey, I remember um, if, if people are in the Bay Area, they know that Google and Facebook, all these employees do these bus ride commutes from San Francisco down into uh, Peninsula slash South Bay. And mm-hmm. I was living in the city at the time, commuting to Google and Mountain View. So I was on the bus for like, if I was lucky, an hour and 15 one way. So I wow. was pretty much looking at three hours of my day on the commute. Um, and But I used that time to listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I listened to so many. And 
there were, there's a lot of people that start by doing side hustles. And so I would focus on those and every single person would say the same thing. And I would get so frustrated and be like, that's not actionable, but it is a hundred percent true, which is you will just know the day that it's time to leave. You'll just know you will a have validation in form of revenue. So if you're selling something, you will get to a point where you're like, you know what, this is no longer just some like fun money or even money to like help pay my costs, right? That they will reach a point when you will say, okay, you know what, this is like some serious money. It's probably still not going to be the amount of salary that you're making, but it'll be enough for you to be like, okay, that's interesting. If it's not money, then it's going to be users or like followers on social media. And so like, um, and not just like empty numbers, because a lot of people focus on like the number of followers you have, but like how engaged are people? Um, We started to get so many DMs and emails from people that were listening to the podcast or on Instagram with us. And they were like, how can I come work for you for free? Like crazy stuff that I never would have imagined receiving. And then we got the Apple pickup. And so that really started to spike our traffic. And I knew um, with that early momentum, I needed to capitalize on it because I talked a little bit about luck. If, if something like that falls into your lap, whether it's that, whether it's like you get to be on Shark Tank or whatever, um, you need to take that momentum and then accomplish a goal with it. So it might be that you launch a product right then and you say, okay, I'm going to take all that momentum and sell directly to customers. It might be, I'm going to take that momentum and go out and raise money from investors. Or in our case, it might be, you know what? We think we're a good candidate for an accelerator. So we're going to put together a really good package and application for an accelerator and showcase that we're using this momentum and we're really um, resonating with our customers. Because I think a lot of people can build, I mean, we're, especially here in Silicon Valley, I'm surrounded by so many talented people. You can like throw a rock and find someone who can build you a really, really cool product. But the the issue is most of those cool products don't actually solve a problem for people or they don't, they're not something that people need or really identify with. And so if you can have something that's resonating with people that is really hard to just like, you can you can put as much money towards something as you want, but you can't really buy that type of loyalty and engagement. And so my co-founder, that's when I actually formally asked Lisa to come on as co-founder. So she and I were like, when we started the podcast, we're like, let's not have any huge expectations out of this. Let's just like come to it together as friends and like figure out what we're going to do. So that's when Lisa and I were like, okay, Let's apply to this accelerator. I want you to come on as co-founder if we get in. And I want to really, really scale up the business. And so that's what we did. Um, We started our program with Snapchat um, in February of this year. Um, We were in LA and we're there for three and a half, four weeks. And then unfortunately, COVID-19 kind of caused Snapchat to shut down all of their offices. So we are still in the program, um, but they had us all move back to our homes. So it's all um, remote now. And the organizers have done like a fabulous job at like trying to make sure it's disrupted as little as possible. Um, I definitely, I mean, our goal is to, you know, raise a larger seed round. I am a bit worried about that given like the current circumstances. So we're going to try and be as um, flexible as we can as a company, maybe think about how to um, ask our community um, to help us um, from like a membership perspective, or we're kind of jamming on things to see um, how it goes. But we're, we're really excited about the future of Brightly. 
That's great. And it's also great that Snapchat continued with the program. Can you share more about what that experience has been like for you and Lisa, like starting from the early days when you were in person in the office? And how do you think it's helped hone your skills? We started, I was like so excited to be in LA, first of all. I'm like, in another life, I would be in LA, like probably like in the film industry Hollywood or something. Life. Love it. Like, I just, I don't know what it is about LA. I think it's amazing. The energy, the people, it's so cool. So I was really excited to be there. Um, and so we were, I was working out of the Snapchat offices. They actually had a whole section for us um, for all the, so there's 10, cool. 10 companies in, in the yellow program. That's what it's called. Um, and we, I got to meet everybody. It was super exciting. Um, they had some really great speakers come in to talk to us. We had like a chameleonaire come talk to us, which was so cool. Um, he's like an amazing tech investor himself. He's got a great company. So Snap has provided a really great forum for us to connect with other people in the space. Um, we also got to hear from Joanna Coles, who um, is the inspiration behind the show, The Bold Type. And she used to be the um, editor-in-chief at, um, I think, well, Hearst. She she ran Hearst for a long time. Anyway, just Love really fabulous show. people. Yeah, it's an amazing show. So anyway, we've had, they've given us some awesome connections. They also gave us a small amount of investment, which is awesome. So we were heartbroken when, when they told us all to go home. I mean, we were heartbroken by what was going around in the world. And, you know, we were a bit anxious, like trying to figure out like, what's going to happen. And they like, yeah, they, they called us in, you know, we've got to be responsible to the community around us. Um, and, you know, let's, let's just kind of take it online. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said we weren't upset. I mean, it was, we kind of almost went through, there was a really interesting article actually that just published by Harvard Business Review called, it said something like that uncomfortable feeling or that anxiety you're feeling. It's actually grief. Um, and it talked about how, everyone right now is kind of in a grieving process for sort of all of the things that we're missing out on right now. Like college, I mean, uh, well, college seniors not being able to have their graduation, high school seniors not being able to go to prom. Like there's just so many things that have been disrupted. And never mind the fact that, you know, people unfortunately are, are, are dying. Like, I mean, there's just all sorts of unfortunate things happening in the world. And so, Everyone's been affected in different ways. Um, I don't think anyone's way is more important than the other. It just, it is. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, we had to take a few days to kind of regroup as a team and and, and think through what we wanted to do. Um, A big part of our strategy was going to be, and and still will be when we're done with the COVID-19 shelter in place, but was around... um, in-person events like we our community loves to get together in person we've done events and we actually have people in college who will host virtual book clubs for brightly but they listen to the podcast instead which is really cool um so they'll like listen pause it discuss really cool so like we were really excited about that um unfortunately we can't do that now so we've done things like we host zoom chats um with our community um they're called we call them coffee chats and people come together to brainstorm ways to help the world um so we're we're trying to think on our feet and figure out how we can be a bright spot for people on the internet give them ways to learn new things right now because we are a lot of us are bored um and, you know, how can we think more about helping the planet? Um, and the other thing I'll say is we've asked, we've done a few podcast recordings since all of this has happened. And 
we, we always ask our guests, what is one thing that excites them about the ethical and sustainable movement right now? And I did a recording this morning and <laughs> oh, the guest, she's amazing. Uh, she just wrote a book about tiny house living, which everyone loves tiny house living. Like, come on. Oh, I've seen videos. Yeah, yeah it's great, right? It's so fun. It's such a fun escape. But she goes, I'll be honest with you nothing is really exciting me right now. And I was like, fair, fair. Like, you know, like I feel you, I feel you. And she said, but the one thing we can maybe take from all of this is that people are very aware of how their dollars are literally providing lifelines for small businesses and people right now. And that's been something that we've always kind of talked about on Brightly, which is like vote with your dollar, support companies that are doing things the way that you value. And we've been saying this for for months and months. um, And you know, it, it, it resonates with some people, but now more than ever, I feel like it kind of resonates with everyone. So we're really excited to continue to spread our message of positive change through conscious consumerism. And I think it's even more relevant now than it was a few weeks ago. I do think it's incredible to see as difficult as the situation is right now for everyone, how communities are forming and coming together and finding new ways to connect. And I'm just very curious to see how that's going to affect small businesses like yourself as you build these online communities in the future. So there's definitely a positive to it, a silver lining. um, And it's just cool to see how this will all play out. For sure. I do want to switch gears for a moment and ask you a bit more about your your experience as a female founder specifically. Um, and if you're comfortable, can you share a moment where you may have been treated differently and how you overcame that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think being a female founder is, it's a privilege, first of all. Like I, every day I'm reminded of how women still do not have equal rights around the world. I I just saw this really insane thing that was shared. I think it was in Malaysia, um, but it was like a, um, a a graphic that their government put out that was literally telling women to like na- make sure that they were like dressing up when they were at home and like not being slobs and stuff like that. Like, it, yeah, it was awful. Now, granted, I can't verify the authenticity of that, and I always say that too. It's like it's so hard to track things online, and so even if that wasn't real, it still reminds us that like there are so many expectations put on women in addition to the expectations that we have in the workplace. Um, And so I say that because it is more difficult as a female founder. Certainly we talked about the statistic about, you know, less venture dollars going to women. Um, But it's also for me, I like to think about, you know, the work that our mothers and our grandmothers and the women before that did to like help us actually even be able to work in the workplace. Um, Women actually weren't even allowed to have their own credit cards up until um, the early eighties, which is insane. Um, there always had to be like a, you know, a co-signer on the account. I mean, com- totally shocking. Um, so anyway, uh, there, there's that piece where I, anytime I have a difficult time, which is plenty, I think about that. Um, I would say on the whole, so I go to a lot of networking events and I am almost always one of the only women in the room if it was not like advertised as like, a female founder meetup or like something that was like female founder friendly. That's okay. Like I, you know, I have a brother. I like, you know, my, like my husband and I were hanging out with guys all the time. And they will, like, I like dudes. I can, I can hold my own. Like we, we, have, <laughs> we can have fun. Um, I, I don't find that awkward or anything like that. But what is awkward is like how people see me and they automatically um, assume that I am not a founder. Like I've had people ask me, I've had someone hand me their um, drink before to like, 
do away with it. Even though I was like not wearing any type of, yeah, I've had that before. And I had, it's oftentimes just the tone of voice that, that you'll get, which is like, oh, like, so, so how are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And like, oh, who's your co like, and I get a ton of the technical co-founder stuff. Like, oh, so like, are you an engineer? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I mean, sure. I am actually an engineer. If you think about all the work I've done for Riley, but no, I don't identify as that. Um, I get a lot of that. Um, and so when I had an earlier concept for Rightly, like um, when I talked about the marketplace thing, I went to a few different events. I actually had the chance to talk to a few venture capitalists, which by the way, I think it's a good idea to network early on with the VCs, even if you don't, if you're not 100% sure what you want to do, find some ones that might not be like your target, like, you know, like dream list that you would want on your on your board or on your cap table, just find a few so that you can talk to them and understand what type of questions they want um, answered. And like, just kind of how they think, because it is a very weird, it's very foreign. It's not like a job interview. It's not like anything you've ever experienced. And so when I would talk to them, they would have the same thing. Like they'd be like, well, you need a co founder, and you need a technical co founder, and you need X, Y, and Z. And really, as as we found the success with Brightly and we found it because of the podcast and because of the platform that, you know, are my creation, I am now have this confidence to be able to go in and like, people are like, oh, I, that's the website's beautiful. I love it. And I'm like, cool, I did that. And they're like, oh, like you designed it? I'm like I designed it and I coded it, right? A man will always tell you that he did that. The, the man will tell you where he went to school and how he was like valedictorian and like all the things that don't matter. Right, yeah always tell you that. Um, and so, you know, and that type of like posturing, for lack of a better word, is very welcomed and expected in this industry. And so I don't think women have to go out and do that 100%. Like you need to do what feels authentic to you. But you do also have to put on a hat that says, what type of pattern matching are these people looking for? And they're probably looking for a specific type of personality. They're looking for somebody who knows all their numbers, X, Y, and Z. And so you can like do a little bit of theater there, I think, to to maybe amp up some of those tendencies that you might not present in that way. Because odds are, if you are a CEO or you are somebody that wants to start a company, like you have that stuff in you already. You have those like sparks, because I will tell you, like, there is nothing like starting your own business. And it's, it really isn't for everybody. I thought for the longest time that I was good. I've always kind of had a weird tension with like working for people directly. The second that I became really my own boss and like not have to have that over my head, um, that that was going to go away. And of course it didn't. Like now I just have to worry about like coronavirus and other things that happen out of my control. I will say though, it's, it is so rewarding to work on something that I believe in so passionately and just to have this experience. Brightly, I'm a thousand percent sure it's going to be a giant billion dollar business. But if for some reason it doesn't work out, I will have had the most amazing time and ability to grow. Um, unlike anything. Yeah, the fact that you have this passion as well is so great because I know being a conscious consumer around the world is becoming more important to people, but it's also quite hard to be one. People don't want to give up habits, things like that. Can you share with us maybe a few tangible examples of changes we can make like this week or this month in terms of being a more conscious consumer? Absolutely. So the first thing that we always like to tell people on Good Together or when I'm at a coffee chat or wine party, whatever, is just buy less. So and that's like so much easier said than done. But truly just thinking about, um, you know, I actually haven't bought a ton of clothing in years. And it's not because I'm trying to be frugal or picky 
or anything like that. But I just do this kind of framework and everybody's going to have a different framework. So that's another thing that we talk about is like conscious consumerism is about your values. Like no one else can tell you what matters the most to you. Like you will know if you want to be a vegan because you believe passionately in the impact that the food system has on animals and just on habitats in general. I mean, there's so many reasons why people become vegans, but that's one, right? And that has to be something that you choose. So once you kind of figure out what your values are, which by the way, we're actually coming up with a way for people to help discover these values more because I feel so strongly about that. But kind of once you figure that out with yourself, then you can kind of go through this process before you buy things. And so it's like, A, do I need another one of these things? Like that's almost like from like the the clutter perspective. B is, is this made in a way that is responsible? And that means a lot of things. It can mean materials. So like there's a lot of things that are like recycled plastic. That's awesome. But it still creates microfibers that go into the water. So there's there's always like a sliding scale of like, quote unquote, how good something is. And so again, that's when you have to think, well, what am I okay with? Because there's never going to be anything that's perfect. We like to say like planet over perfection. Like just the fact that you are having this conversation with yourself is already an awesome step in the right direction. How is it made? Do I need another one of these? Um, and then is it something that's going to give me joy, right? Like that is something that is, is really key. Um, is it going to be something that, I am proud to have in my house and that I'm going to have for a long time. So for us, it's really, it's, it's about buying less. Um, and then it's about not wasting what you already have. So like food waste. Um, I personally don't love leftovers, but we, instead of me thinking through, okay, how am I going to eat the same thing eight times in a row? Cause I just can't do it. I think more, I think more about, um, how do I take the ingredients that I would use to make like a big meal and use those ingredients for something else? An example was the other day um, I made some meatballs and I froze half of them. So I always, always recommend people using the freezer twos. And then the next day, um, my husband and I really like this. Um, it's almost like an Olive Garden dupe, like a sausage and kale kind of like Tuscan soup. And that soup calls for sausage. And I was like, I'm just going to use those meatballs in there. Like no one's going to know. And I put them in and there we go. It was like a brand new meal that I had created from the same thing. And so just like thinking creatively and like using conscious consumerism as a vehicle for your curiosity, I think is so fun because we are all curious people um, and we are all trying to figure out like we love, everyone loves a hack. Yeah, being curious um, and and again, using your values to really like customize experience for you, I think is, is just so important. Awesome. So we just have a few more questions to wrap up. I'd love to hear, Laura, just as our audience is young women, a lot of us are in college, uh, what advice you have for women that are interested in both the tech and the entrepreneurial side? We, we hear different advice all the time. We hear, get a few years, go into consulting, go into tech, then you can go start your own business. And then other people say, just to go right out the bat. So I'm curious what your insight is. Yes. Uh, I think this completely is um, different for every person. So number one, like what does your safety net look like? Do you have a safety net? If you want to go straight into something, um, do you have one? Like would are your parents okay if you move back in with them for a little bit? And like, how does that wor work for you? So that's one thing. Um, another thing that I've always liked to tell people is regardless of safety net, really regardless of, of what your priorities are, think about the jobs, like the full-time jobs that you take as ways to learn skills to apply to your venture. If you've got an idea for a venture, you might not have an idea for like what exact product you want to put out, but you might know, you know what, I, I'm really passionate about fashion. Um, and I happen to have a skill in writing. So 
I'm going to go figure out how to put that to work for somebody else, learn a ton. And then also I'll have that on my resume when it comes time to pitch these investors. Because that's the other thing. Investors, like in addition to looking for (laughs) really most of the time white men, but like looking for patterns that match a specific trend that they've seen or whatever, they also love the names like they they love if you've gone to a great school they love that they love like i i'm fortunate to have worked for some great tech names so that usually works in my favor so um just use these as as, as times to experiment and figure out what you want to do there's always the opportunity like i said to do a side hustle and i think that's a great way to see if what you're doing will resonate with people so that would be my advice and again like if you feel like you can only get into a certain type of career path based on your past your schoolwork for instance well then go um you know Maybe take, figure out if you can, if you can do like a three month internship and, you know, maybe you're going to have to work um, an hourly job somewhere else to kind of make ends meet, which I've I've done before too, but you're still going to get that on your resume. Um, And because all you want to do at the end of the day is match the right keywords, right? So that you can like get into that job. So we'd like to end on a few quick fire questions that we'll all answer. So Laura, Chloe, and then me, Mimi, are you ready? Sure, go ahead. What do you need to be your most productive? Self. Coffee and wine. <laughs> Perfect combination. For me, I need exercise. Exercise and outdoor time. I usually can't put on my like real thinking hat until I've had some sort of physical activity. For me, I need my bullet journal. I love bullet journaling and can't get started unless I have everything in it. Very neat as well. I wish I was that organized. Oh God. What is the next hobby that you would like to pick up? So I love interior design and I it's just something that gives me a lot of life. So I would love to just like be able to have more time to do that and like get better at it. Um, for me, I I play a little bit of guitar, so I want to learn a new instrument, piano, and I'm also working on the bongos. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I'd like to get back into painting. I studied art at school, but I've kind of lost the constant me doing acrylics, watercolors all the time. So I'd like to do that again. That's awesome. I also want to throw in TikTok uh, dancer because I'm so <laughs> jealous of all these women that are like amazing dancers on TikTok. I love TikTok. We actually just started an account for Bright and are kind of like experimenting with different content on there, like how to make it kind of funny and like all sorts of stuff. And it's been really fun. But I literally am always like captivated by these dances. And like my husband's like, no, just stop. (laughs) TikTok is so interesting because it's always been something for Mimi and I's age group that I think we saw as being cringy um, and a little bit like 12 year olds and the younger generation. But now everyone's stuck at home. And so we're all reluctantly downloading this app. And you know, the more times you see those dances, the more eager you are to start picking them up yourself. So the the music's so good too. You're like, I hate this song. And then you're like, actually, I kind of like it. Like that Savage song. Like, come on. Like, it's just so good. I know. (laughs) We'd also love to know what is your favorite Good Together podcast episode? Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, I have to say, I so we did one with zero, um, talking about how to go zero waste. And we, um, it was a conversation between myself and a woman named Catherine Kellogg, who is the pretty much the foremost voice in zero, in the zero waste industry. I say that because she just dropped so much amazing knowledge. And we also discovered that we live really close to each other. Like she lives in Berkeley and I live like very close to her. And we, we were like, let's be friends. And I was like, oh, well, I'm in, L- I'm in LA, but yes, when I come back and then now we're stuck at home. So she and 
and I are like, like virtual friends now, which has been really fun. So for me, I loved the how to be less trashy episode. I think so hard to find practical advice that's easy to follow. And that episode did a great job. I think ethical travel, always knowing about moving to different places as well. How do you keep the habits? Yes, 100%. Laura, thank you again so much for joining us. Mimi and I generally learned so much from this conversation. Yeah, well, thank you, ladies, for letting me come on and and share some knowledge. I'm always happy to help, um, especially folks coming out of school. Like I said, I went through it myself. I'm always happy to help. So yeah. Thank you. Everyone, please check out brightly.eco and their Instagram as well as the Good Together podcast. That was Laura Wittig and Brightly is her hustle. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in to our very first episode of Her Hustle. Please make sure to follow us on Instagram at herhustle.podcast to give us feedback and view inspiring content. Thank you so much, everyone. We'll see you next time.